0: This is The Dog and
1: Bone. Welcome to The Dog and Bone, a series of podcasts brought to you by Propeller Group, the specialist agency that builds profile and helps grow business for companies in media, marketing, retail and technology. I'm Martin Lote, founder of Propeller and curator of The Dog and Bone. In each episode, we invite business leaders with something to say into our kennel for a chat, and we ask them to dig up something a bit tasty for us to chew on. In this episode of The Dog and Bone, we're joined by another dynamic brand and agency duo. In the client corner, we have Jerry Dakin, Senior Media Director for pharmaceutical giant GlaxoSmithKline. Jerry works on GSK's consumer healthcare products across the EMEA region. And previously, he was with Mondelez, Cara, and Diageo. Jerry is a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Marketing, a member of the World Federation of Advertising Global Media Council, and a Director of Advertising the LGBTQ advertising and marketing advocacy group. From the agency world, we're joined by Chris Kenner, founder and CEO of Brand Advance. Chris is an entrepreneur and marketer with a passion for diversity in media and advertising and founded Brand Advance as the industry's first ad media network dedicated to promoting global diversity. Chris is also the founder of DECA, a media consultancy focused on helping brands understand diversity, equality and cultural awareness in various markets. And like Jerry, Chris is a director of advertising. Chris and Jerry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Now, you guys know each other very well, so I'm sure you've got lots to talk about. Chris, what would you like to ask Jerry?
0: Well, gosh, it would be silly not to ask about current times, business, COVID. Black Lives Matter. Well, let's do business in COVID first. We'll get to Black Lives
2: Matter. It's been yeah, it's been a busy a busy few months certainly. And I wear thanks for that very kind introduction. I wear many hats in my life, but yeah, the, my my day job is working for a big healthcare company. Uh, and I guess of all the sectors that have been affected by um, the, the COVID situation, healthcare has certainly not been the worst hit. You know, in, in some ways, um, you know, we, we have vitamins and all sorts of products in our in our portfolio that obviously consumers are, are looking at more though so it's it's been a challenging time for our business like like any other business so from a from a pure business perspective you know it's been it's been busy we've been working from home we've switched very rapidly and agilely to that like everyone else has um, and it's it's been hard work but we've we've kept the ship running um, I guess from a sort of from other with other hats on I guess I also quite involved in uh, the conscious advertising network and and the media side of things and I think it's it's been a challenging time for the media industry as a whole. Um, I think, you know, with with COVID and right at the start of it, there was lots of companies um, called out just for blocking that word and really accidentally defunding journalism. Um, and I think it's just, it's babbled a lot of things to the surface. But yeah, certainly it's it's been a busy time. It's been an interesting time. And I think like any kind of, unexpected uh, big moment it's caused a lot of change we're we're working in a lot of different ways that we wouldn't have imagined we would have been uh, at the start of the year some of those i think are definitely better some of those are definitely worse um, and i think that you know we'll hopefully eventually find uh, the, the right mix of them what about you, Chris? Quite a, a, an interesting time to be in a, an expanding company. For, the, for anyone who doesn't know, what, is, what does your company actually be? What's the, what's the day job of Brand Advance?
0: Okay, um, we are a global diversity media network. So what that means is we help brands reach demographics like LGBTQ+, disability, religion, 50+, plus, um, gender empowerment, all the others we help them. Um, we help them reach at scale, and by scale, I mean sort of looping together publications and platforms that uh, that talk daily, hourly, minutely. Some some of them to these demographics. We loop them all together
2: to ensure that they have the scale that other media conglomerates have. It's kind of the, the diverse majority, isn't it? Because by the time you add all those people together, that's not that's not a small group of, of people it's, anymore, is it? You know,
0: it's too. Let's let's be totally we've always spoken really frankly you know when you put lgbt global lgbtq plus and black and asian and multi-ethnic and disability you know there's 12.8 million people with a registered disability in the uk you know in a country of 63 million so you stick disability and gender empowerment as well which obviously skews quite towards female and we know that you know half the population of the world is female So it's not a minority. We've always known it. We've never felt, we've always been told we were niche and, you know, not insignificant. But by being told you're niche and small and minority, certainly makes you feel insignificant. But we've always known that actually, you know, put all our voices together and you've just got two thirds of the world telling you, why are you missing me? Why are you not speaking to me? Why are you not spending with me?
2: Yeah, it's it's an interesting one for us as well. So at GSK, one of the reasons I only joined GSK eighteen months ago. One of the reasons I joined was because they have a really really good record for a lot of this stuff internally. Like they're you know in the Stonewall top ten. They're you know they recently won a, an award for uh, how we uh, look after people with different abilities in our business. You know there's there's loads of really fantastic stuff, and you know it's a great company to work for. But I think even we have kind of had a bit of a wake up call, and partly because. I had Chris in and we shouted a lot about it together, Um, but just that there's a lot more we can do externally as well because kind of with the best will in the world and not necessarily anyone deliberately doing anything, well, almost certainly not often people deliberately do anything wrong. There's just this kind of unconscious bias process you go through where you kind of, you get insights on a consumer and they become a bit generic and they become a sort of middle of the road housewife. And yes, that is kind of your generic consumer, but then if that's all you put in your adverts and all you talk to, you lose so much richness and variety um, and often it's you know it's just a bit of a, n- a nudge for people to think actually how, you know it's like this unconscious bias thing well actually at this point should I stop and think hang on what am I missing out on what are the more interesting stories to tell which my audience isn't gonna isn't gonna relate to this um, and I think the thing that Chris has been good at challenging is that over the last couple of years I think that's come up a lot on the content side like I, th- I mean we're far 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 from perfect but I think people are starting to be aware it matters on content and trying to move in that direction but actually kind of the media and the audiences and, and how we reach those people um and, how, and what we fund as well because like if we don't if we don't reach those audiences if we don't fund those titles they vanish I think it's exciting for me that that is kind of this this moment has helped spur on some some more meaningful debate about that um all tied back to yeah you know, yes it's kind of nice, happy, right thing to do, but you can build a pretty clear business case, as you're saying, Chris, for like <laughs> it being a large number of our consumers and a massive chunk of our business. So it's not, yeah, yeah. It's not hard to win finance on board when you, when you sell it the right way.
0: The, um, what do you think, and you know, I, I'm asking you this because we're on a podcast and we've got to keep talking, <laughs> but also because you're me and I just, why does everyone give a shit right now? You know, why, 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 why now? I don't know the answer. I know why I do. I feel empowered to be able to speak now, you know? It started in, on the other side of the pond. It moved over here. Yes, no uh, police officers don't stick their knee on my throat, you know, but I go through my own stuff. We've talked about it in depth before, you know? I go through my own, pretty much on a weekly basis. But why do you think everybody's bothered now?
2: And yeah, obviously the, the US and the Floyd murder and, and the, the kind of that huge spark is a massive part of it. But I definitely think it's, it's kind of an, an overstatement to say that that is the whole thing there's obviously that the whole the whole thing was ready to explode wasn't it and i think covid has has kind of helped in that in a, in a weird way and obviously i'm not saying covid is a good thing in any sense but it kind of made everyone stop and it made everything you were normally doing stop and it made you at home and you were facing a different reality um and we've you know, we talk a lot, so we talk a lot of things. We talked about this whole shift that happened between kind of um, people being really like, well, key, key workers. Suddenly all the people who before were like, you know, the people we didn't care about as marketers. I mean, we cared about them, hopefully, but we didn't talk about them enough. Um, suddenly key workers, and it's suddenly really important. So they suddenly have this, this stage where they get to be heard. Frankly, they should always get to be heard. It shouldn't take a global pandemic to do that. But that happened. And I think there's something, again, for all the bad stuff, a positive thing that's come out around like the humanity, and the empathy and people just being a little bit more willing to hear other people's stories, all of that combined with just, you know, so much disruption, you know, working from home for a lot of us, um, just the, the changes, the different voices we've been able to hear because of that, it just kind of created this perfect storm. And then of course the activity in the US, that you know, the horrific, and as and as soon as that exploded, the kind of the fact that there's thousands and thousands of other stories that just come come flowing out. And it's been really encouraging to see the kind of the response so far, but I'm, I'm starting to get to that slightly cautious point where we've seen a lot of people say, yes, we'll make a change and a lot of really great putting hands up. But um, pretty soon we're going to come to the kind of, OK, so what what's different, what's changed part? And I'll, you know, I'll still give people a a little while because I know some of this stuff takes a while, like, you know, massively changing policies and courses of business and stuff isn't isn't overnight. But I definitely think we need to start seeing some of these companies that rightly and proudly kind of put their hands up and said they were going to make a change. I look forward to seeing over the next six months some of that change. But to an extent, Chris, you're already seeing it because like you say, you know, business is booming. People are paying more attention to those audiences. So some of the quicker fixes are starting to happen immediately. It's just whether it's happening right through the line as well, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I've always said that to change from our industry, people, you know, we're in an awesome industry with all of its faults, and by gosh, does it have faults. (laughs) But, you know, within our industry, like what we are able to do, like to change the mindsets of nations, to, you know, to influence people, to laugh,
2: cry, or be indifferent, you know, just, just the power of marketing is unreal. I mean, we talk a lot of things together, but I, in some ways we couldn't be more different. A lot, you know, I, I went to the same school my dad went to, and like a posh university, and like lived at home whilst I, you know, volunteered for a charity to get work experience. You know, I'm proper middle-class, all the privilege in the world. It's one of the reasons I feel morally obliged to try and give some of it back. Whereas, Chris, if you haven't heard his story, it's like, it's like mind blowing, Um, you know, really, well, I would say tough, maybe I don't know what you'd say, tough upbringing and, you know, in the army for a, for a good while before you came and joined us in the world of marketing. Do you think that kind of coming from a completely different perspective makes it easier for you to kind of, <laughs> Tear stuff up and think a bit differently because a lot of us in marketing, much as we try, are quite similar.
0: I don't understand so much of it, which is why I question it. And I've been privileged enough to be surrounded by and propped up by and being in the company of, you know, this is like a smoke up backside. And I'm not going to do this again on another podcast ever, but by people like Jerry, you know, <laughs> that, you know, and even, uh, Martin who's put this podcast together you know people that allow me to have a voice you know like five years ago none of you knew who I was like I didn't really know who I was not as a marketeer do you know what I mean like I I now get to stand on stage and to say my thoughts and I'm not always right I think I'm always right actually (laughs) if anyone ever questions me I am always right but um, I'm not, I we don't should, know the answer. We
2: find things to disagree on occasion, though <laughs> One of my, my favourite experiences with Chris is I am um, on the, you know, the WFA, World Federation of Outsiders Media Board, which, spoiler alert, and we are trying to work to improve it, but it is a bit um, pale male and stale. You know, the, the team is working to change that. Um, but I, I, Chris came along and did this fantastic presentation and kind of whilst he was sat in the audience, um, I can't remember the exact comment but basically you know someone said something slightly patronizing towards women and like and you could tell half the room was kind of looking a bit awkwardly and like did he really say that oh my gosh and Chris just like called it out like because we're we're all like you know squirming on the inside but a little bit too polite to say anything and he called it out and I you know probably at the time thought he was mortifying me but I was super super it was super important because I think we are all a bit too that there are lots of good people in the industry who know when stuff is wrong and know when it needs calling out but it we're not all, you know, we're all a bit too polite and we don't always do it. So I think something about, you know, having been in the army and having not come the same way just gives, gives you the, sort of the balls to shout out a little bit, which is really needed in our industry. This moment now has given voice to so many people, to to
0: people that just let it, let it happen, let it be said, didn't stand up and, you know, not everybody is as gobby as me or as, uh, you know, has the privileged positions that we both have where we're asked for our opinion. But actually, in this moment right now, and I don't mean this moment I and mean, me and you on this uh, podcast, but I mean, in this moment in life, like we're all, we're, we're all like you rightly said, we've all had everything stripped away and only our bare selves left. And now we're coming back into the world and voices that weren't heard are now being heard and people are questioning others and questioning themselves, you know. Am I racist? The amount of times I've heard that. And I'm sure, Jerry, even you as a, you know, as you, as a self-proclaimed- Any, Anyone uh, who says ex- they're
2: not racist is lying. Like, you, you meet someone from a different background, different color, best will in the world you have assumptions about them there are things you know it's it's realizing you're a little bit racist and how you deal with that i think yeah you know, is I, I i try not to be actively racist i try to be actively anti-racist <laughs> yeah, 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 you can't, yeah you can't wipe it out i grew up in a society that taught white history and you know you know i have so many things built into me and um, i think it's imp- important to, to own that and own the fact you know i'm a white privileged lucky man who who benefited a lot from all those words and, I, and, and hopefully passes some of it back. Yeah. I,
0: I think you just said a really important point, And it's about, you know, whether you're in marketing and where you are in marketing, whether you're in PR, whether wherever you are, wherever you sit, anywhere on the echelon from top to bottom, we can all be better people now because we all, for a small period, and I don't know if you,
2: you know, if you experienced it, you know, but where it felt like the world was one. It was definitely a great equaliser. I think it made a lot of people that empathy I talked about. Though I have some caution about that because I've started to hear people talk about this kind of new normal and everyone working from home and it being wonderful. And I know a lot of the people driving that theory, you know, have sunken gardens and private offices and, you know, have have had a wonderful experience of being at home with the kids and things. I think, you know, especially talking to some of the younger people I work with, some people at my agency where they live in shared houses. And, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to think we're all in this together, but lockdown has been a very different experience for a lot of us. But, yeah, there's lots of positives.
1: You're listening to the Dog and Bone podcast from Propeller Group. If you're enjoying it, please share the link with your network. Subscribe on iTunes or your normal podcast provider. And if you're feeling really inspired, please write a review to help us zoom up the charts. Now, back to the conversation it's interesting that a lot of bad stuff has been happening
2: in media for a while now. And we both work kind of in the media side of marketing. And I think it is interesting that because so much is leveled, there's, there's this glimmer of my hope that maybe we could build something back. That's a little bit better. And it's, there's lots of different things. Some of it's, you know, where does the money go? Who does it fund? Some of it is, you know, brand safety and how do we stop the really bad stuff? Some of it is how we make sure we're not stopping the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just, just overall, there's a slightly weird dynamic where, you know, we kind of, bid on media in a way that like really nasty, cheap, programmatic, like, you know, click baity inventory is kind of treated in the system the same as like the front page of a really high quality production or, you know, a specific niche target talking to a really important audience of yours. And I would love to think that, you know, part of the kind of the, the massive cosmic refresh and, you know, brands starting to pay more attention of where they spend their money, I'd like to think we would start to build a bit more of a positive you know programmatic media ecosystem where as well as kind of the cheapest click we also look at you know the right context and what we're funding mm-hmm. um and yeah where where our money goes because it's obviously my job first of all for my company is to make our brands grow and work and you know I can't do anything that counts against that but actually you know time and again I think you prove that when you put your money in quality media environments when you put it in spaces where it's kind of talking to the right audiences it works better so it's kind of win-win and I think that's you know working from home and all that aside I would love to think that this has been enough of a seismic shift that we might start to see some companies acting a bit differently in that space and I've um, I, of, know, I know some are like, I guess I guess any of your clients are in a way because they're deliberately yeah. choosing to to run media in in spaces that a few years ago they perhaps wouldn't have thought of.
0: No it's true I wanted to ask you about because it sort of leads on to what you just said which is So as EMEA media director, you've got, you've got countries like the UK, which you sit in most of the time. And that's where, you know, there is, you can put spend into LGBT, you can put spend into black media. How do you get around or what advice would you give for for companies like yourself, multinationals, where have countries like Poland right now, where they've got LGBT free zones?
2: Yeah, and it, it hits on a, a few things i really passionate about. So my, de- my day job in the company is EMEA, but I actually lead a project we have that's globally around how we're improving our representation in our media and our marketing. And straight away, as soon as you start talking about race and LGBT and some of those things, you do get into local nuance. I mean, race in particular, it, you know, what race means in America is very different to what race means in, in China and Japan. Um, LGBT is a challenging one because literally there are laws around the world which which reflect what you can and can't stay in some markets, unfortunately. Um, I think for that, we're, we're looking at ways of encouraging all our markets to spend some of their media and some of their creative specifically talking about these communities. And to an extent, we'll have to leave that quite open because what diversity means varies a lot in, in markets and we can provide some guidance. I think it is, is challenging. Uh, I, as a big global company, I think we do have a responsibility in countries like Poland. Um, to make it clear to governments when they clamp down on rights, when they make it hard for some of their citizens that we as corporate businesses who are spending money and bringing wealth to their, their country think that's, a, that's an issue. Um, I wouldn't like to comment officially on GSK's position on that, though. It is something um, I could tell you that we are, you know, we, we, we are concerned. We are part of something called Open for Business, um, which is an organization which does exactly that. It uses kind of the corporate power uh, and the sort of you know the uh, ultimately I guess the investment and the money that big companies bring to challenge um, companies uh, or countries around the LGBT rights certainly internally there's stuff we can do I think we've we've had messages from some of our senior stakeholders to our colleagues in 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 countries with with tough rules you know we change our logo to a rainbow globally I know some people think that's a kind of fairly tokenal change but actually it's quite powerful for colleagues in some of those countries to, to see that and and have that said. So I think there is a lot we can do. There's no, there's no single fix and there's no sort of one magic bullet. Um, but yeah, we're, we're trying to create guidance and encourage all our colleagues that, because there, is, there are two sides, and this mean, isn't necessarily just to GSK, advertising, we talk to lots of different companies. There is the kind of, we forget to do it bit, but there is also an active, no, we won't do it, like nervousness about doing it, worries about the backlash. Um, and, that, and that is, of course, all, you know, I've I've, you know it seemed ridiculous backlash for just you know we, we included a black person in an advert in germany and we got a lot of back i mean it's how can you have backlash against that and in, in what you think of as quite a sort of western developed country but there, there are always a few vocal mm-hmm. very small number of people posting on a facebook page so there's no there's no silver bullet and our 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 task and advertising and wfa and my own company is just to keep pushing people to do a little bit more and to learn and to try because i think we, we do have a responsibility as, as big global businesses it's yeah, we we you know we launched a big partnership in the UK with Gay Times. Everyone thinks it's wonderful and fantastic, and it really really is nice content. But that's e- it's easy in a way. We have to we have to face some of the tougher challenges as well.
0: Yeah, that's that's good. But at least you're leading, and which you
2: are So I we we work with you primarily in the UK at the moment, but hopefully one day the world. You guys, I mean. So some people would say, oh, there isn't diverse media titles outside of oh, the US and the U.K. Uh, and, you know, that, I've heard that repeated a lot. Presumably you would say that's not true.
0: <laughs> I, I know it's not true because uh, <laughs> we sell them, you know. Um, yes, we're, we're starting to, with our clients, have more of a global role. So we're starting to run a lot more campaigns outside of the countries you would think. You know, we have five LGBT titles in um, Dubai. Country where it's illegal to be gay. I've got five LGBT titles on, my, uh, on, on our network. You know, we've got, um, we've got media all together in 71 countries. You know, and a lot of them, you know, we've got quite a lot of Commonwealth countries. I think, our, isn't it like 32 out of the 57? I'm going to be, somebody that really <laughs> knows the numbers is going to be like, he's so wrong. But I'm sure it's like 32 out of the 50-odd. Commonwealth countries, it's still illegal to be LGBT, or it might be a bit less. The numbers I might be a bit wrong on. Um, But I know, like um, Kaleidoscope, the whole reason for Kaleidoscope, the trust, um, is to help these, you know, to help in Commonwealth countries um, because there was a lot of, you know, a lot of people in jail for things like that. So um, just because they're LGBT. So, um, yeah, in answer to your question, is we have media all over the place. We've got a lot of LGBT titles in Russia. You know, we've got a lot of LGBT titles in Poland. Uh, we've got a lot of black titles in Poland. Uh, a lot
2: is probably an overstatement. We have um, black
0: titles in Poland.
2: Yeah, um, and that, I mean, in the a, in a simplest way, that is a massive way advertisers can help, don't they? Because those titles, those publications, they're going to be under huge attack. Yep,
0: they need by, the voice.
2: Yeah, and, and that voice will go if there's not the money to keep them... Them running, etc., which which brings me a little bit to a, a favorite topic of ours around blocking ad blocking, um, and I guess overzealous ad blocking sometimes done. Do you mm-hmm. want to, Chris, in a in a sentence or two, what what is what is the issue that comes, You know, because ad blocking, in many ways, really. Uh, I guess we mean this in a kind of brand safety sense. You know, blocking bad stuff and making sure we don't fund terrorism and hate crimes and all sorts of stuff is obviously ideal, fantastic. Yeah. But what is the kind of the unfortunate downside that you guys have have seen coming out of that?
0: Well, you know, in all honesty, we built a business to off the back of that as a problem, you know. Um, And the problem is brand safety is is built for the, the whole internet. So I am going to stick my ad out into the whole internet and I don't want it to go next to certain stuff. Like you rightly said, terrorism, hate, etc., pornography, stuff like that. So um, the bluntest of tools is called keyword blocking, and that is you take a word that is associated to the type of content you don't want to go near, yeah. and you block that word. Um, so you block the word gay, you block the word Muslim, you block the word. Black, you know, because black could go next to gang-related. Muslim could go next to terrorism. Gay could go next to an unsavoury picture, you know? So that It sounds crazy
2: that anyone would do it as most, as basic as that, but I, I know even for a couple of years, I remember like Vice a couple of years ago released like some horrific stats that it to like 70% of the advertisers, something crazy like that can can start blocking when they use like Muslim or or lesbian or, yeah.
0: So I I can't say who uh, fully, and I know I said I'm not gonna be blocking names and stuff, but on this one I do have to, it's, um, but a major finance brand globally and their agency, uh, very recently, and by recently I mean in the last two weeks, are, are sat in a room with us and we're, we're running the global campaigns for them uh, and we're saying you're not going on any LGBT publications anywhere and they're like well that must be your system like we wouldn't do and I'm like no can you show us your, your blocking list and you know as this sometimes is and it is it isn't you know it's a company internal thing they didn't really want to in the end the brand told the agency yes Get it out. We're going to jump on a, on a call. I'd like you to take me through it. And within that keyword blocking was words like gayer, gayish, gay, lesbian, you know, just all these words that. I kind of covered gayer and gayish.
2: Like, honestly.
0: Well, it had black. <laughs> so
2: so I, I used to work in they, they won't mind me saying this because they've changed it. But at the, at the time, I ran a project looking at this. And we pulled out our keyword blocking list and it was something like 30,000 words. You know, any, mm-hmm. any list of 30,000 words, you, don't, you just don't know what's in it. You can't control it. And I had to get someone on my team, I think he spent three days or something, like going through, reading what is effectively a long list of swear words and stuff. But you find really ridiculous things. Like they had Frozen in it because Frozen is a Disney cartoon. Obviously, that is somewhere Diageo Alcohol Company shouldn't be. But frozen cocktails are also like a massive part of their business that they try and talk about. They had a whole campaign running about it and again, we're wondering why it didn't work. And again, they have, they, you know, several years ago created an approach where they wanted to make sure they were reaching diverse and, you know, a range of different audiences and pretty soon, like and Smirnoff, one of their brands does a lot talking to the LGBT mm-hmm. audience and they found really quickly that, you know, the, the, with the best will in the world, the settings that they've made, so now they have a list of, I can't what it was two or 3,000, which is you know, still a lot of words, but you can at least read through that and understand what's in it and make, and make rational decisions about it. And there is some hope that, you know, technology is improving. And it's becoming more about the meaning of whole articles. Well, yes, con- yeah, yeah.
0: sentiment and context and, you know, because it's there. We have a plat- uh, on our platform. We do that even though we have this walled garden. We actually have a thing called sentiment that sits on the top and the AI, which is IBM Watson AI, uh, language AI, reads all the articles and then categorizes them, you know, positive sentiment. So COVID, NHS are heroes. That would be a positive sentiment. COVID, NHF death rises. That would be a negative sentiment. If we would never just block COVID, we'll block negative sentiment COVID and maybes will leave neutral and positive, you know? Um, and and of everybody has that. The Or oh, everybody has the ability to use that as tech. But um, I don't think there's not a will. I think I used to. And by used to, I mean up until probably a quarter ago. I used to think there's just, why <laughs> is there not the will? You know, like why, if the tech's there and it nearly costs the same as, you know, the, the tech you're already using, you know, the upgrade with let's use IAS just as an example isn't, you know, it's a thousand pounds a month, if that, to turn it into a contextual platform rather than a keyword in, keyword platform, you know. Um, I think it, that depends a lot on how many impressions you're taking. Well, this <laughs> is true, yeah, no, it is. No, but, I,
2: well, without wanting to be the negative, one, I did, I had a, a chat with a technology like that who shall remain anonymous and they they sort of guesstimate they think only about a quarter of their clients really truly care i work on the brand side these days but i i definitely think it's you know it starts with the brands we are at the top of the food chain we often don't understand the details like many brands it's not your job to know all of this technical detail and how this stuff works but you have to kind of ask about it um i think that that starts by you know that starts the whole system if, if you ask about it as a brand then your agency digs into it and brings out the solutions and looks for platforms like yours and you know it, it all triggers from that whereas if you don't ask if you're you know complacent and i think agencies obviously have a responsibility and i think many of them do do a lot of pro- proactive stuff in this space but there's only so far they can go um uh with it unless the client is is pushing and asking for it because otherwise no one buys it
0: No, it's true. I think um, one thing that I know you're a keen advocate for as well is um, working with trusted partnerships. So I know, you know, at Diageo, you had a big hand (laughs) in doing the trusted marketplace. Um, And funny enough, you know, I was speaking to another client today, a big international client that are looking into doing the same sort of thing and sort of building up that network of trusted media. So then, these, you know, this overzealousness on brand safety, yes, you're always going to need it, just in case, but actually, if you have a, a trusted list of partners that covers, you know, you can, one, make sure your spend is going to the places you think it's going and not going to the places you don't want it to be. Two, you can, um, you build relationships with them. You build, you know, your funding quality journalism, which is what we want to do on the back end of any media buy. Um, three, again, it's on that trusted place, but also if, if you know, all these publications, they, they want your spend as much as you want the eyeballs <laughs> of their uh, consumers. You know, sometimes we shy away from the truth of things. The truth is they want your commercial money, you know, GSK, as much as um, you want the eyeballs of the potential consumers that are looking at their, you know, at their publications. Yeah, but I think there's
2: something There's something about working with a sort of a range of publishers, especially kind of the so many publishers you work with, they're just, at the end of the day, they're hungrier for the money. They're, you know, they are, they're less big, less kind of huge amounts of money flowing through their system. And so your account, your campaign really matters to them. Matters. And they kind of, yeah. I think you, you see people really go above and beyond, which I think is, Fantastic. I think we're a little bit running out of time but I know that uh, towards the end of this I meant to ask you the kind of the classic dog and bone question of, you know, do you have an embarrassing business moment you're willing to to share with with everyone listening?
0: (laughs) Okay, so I've been thinking about this, about embarrassing um, and I have, well, I have one which is I don't know if it's embarrassing for me or more embarrassing for them. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm going to share it anyway. And it's not—it's because it sort of goes on uh, about what we've been talking about. So my team, uh, we've not long formed Brand Advance. So there was about 10 people in this pitch. And we were sat there on nervously. And then the client came in and there was about eight to 10 of them. Um, and the main guy sat in the middle. Now, I'll say it because it's pertinent to the story. But it was a middle-aged white guy came in sat in the middle and he just went on his mobile phone and then everybody sort of sat there and I don't know uh, I'm sure lots of the listeners will have been in pictures etc you know there's that awkward moment where they're not telling you to start and you don't know whether you're meant to so we went into that and then as the CEO uh, well I wasn't even the CEO then I didn't have a board Uh, but as the guy that formed the company and brought everyone in the room I stood up to introduce uh, my team and the guy, the main guy, he looked up um, and sort of put his phone down, but didn't turn it off like it was still lighting up his face. I went, "Uh, excuse me, son. This is exactly the words he said. Excuse me, son. If you just want to wait, if you just want to sit back down and just wait till your boss gets here um, and then we'll get going. And so everybody from my team knows I founded the company. On the client side as well, everybody went, ah, like Chris isn't going to let that go. You know, as you've said yourself, (laughs) Jerry, like I I don't, when things are wrong, I like to say that that's wrong and let's do better next time, (laughs) you know, Um, how I actually dealt with it. I sort of paused. Everybody went very awkward. I probably left it for a few more seconds just so there was more awkwardness (laughs) because they deserved it. Um, And then I sort of walked around this really long table, walked up to him. Um, He had already gone back on his mobile, he looked up. I sort of put my hand over his mobile. I was a bit annoyed. If anything, I was angry inside a bit and ashamed for him as well. I was sort of like, you've just made yourself look like a very small man and you walked in like (laughs) a very big man. You know, put my hand over his phone. And said, oh, really pleased to meet you. I'm actually the founder of the company. Can't wait for my team to blow your socks off. Um, Hope you're ready to put your phone down and watch us. (laughs) And then walked back to the front, sort of, I wasn't even doing the pitch. I was just introducing it. And I'm like, all right, team, I think we're all ready to go. Go and knock their socks off. (laughs) Um, We got the client. Like, we still work with them now. That's yeah. that's the only reason I'm reticent and I am gobby. So I would say who they are, but they're still our client and I don't want them to Well,
2: at. well-handed, I'd say. I think, well, <laughs> it's the kind of thing, you know, regardless of your age or race or whatever, or whatever else was leading to that, it's the kind of thing that, you know, just just be nice to everyone you have meetings with and you won't make these mistakes. Like, whoever stands up and starts to talk is the person who's been chosen to stand up and start to talk. <laughs> just... Listen to them and don't you know? Don't yeah, yeah. Don't shoot um, them down, whatever they look like, and then you'll be you're a you're a step ahead, aren't you? So, <laughs> so go on, t- let, tell us yours. Oh, I've had I've had plenty. The one that comes to mind, and it's in a very loose sense, is to do with the importance of having kind of different perspectives uh, in a room. Was when I was at Cadbury's and they did some crazy stuff back in the day, leading up to the Olympics. Had this whole spots and strikes thing going on, where they, it was all about games and trying to get people playing. And they were going out of this new campaign that was, they were trying to break uh, four or five different kind of world records and encouraging the whole country to kind of play along and do them. There were stupid world records for like, um, you know, how quickly can you change a bed? How quickly can you unravel a, a loo roll? How quickly can you throw tea bags into um, cups? For whatever reason, they'd chosen the tea bag cup uh, idea as the kind of the lead the lead creative to go in the advert and I had like a 30 second script and it was all kind of signed off by everyone in the marketing team Um, and I was me and a couple of the fairly junior people we were sort of the digital team at the time so we only got to see it just you know they're like we're shooting this next week it's fantastic and they just read out the script and like me and the two other people on digital just looked at them entirely blanking because the, the, the script was just about tea bagging the whole script was about teabagging and how fun teabagging was and how brilliant it was that the whole country was teabagging. Um, and apologies to any listeners who don't know what that is, but it's, it's useful to have people on your team who do. But because they were so, you know, I had to explain to them that teabagging is a slightly awkward uh, kind of thing you can look up in the urban dictionary if you want to get a, get a, get a, a reference of it. Because the, the team was like, Well, we can't just suddenly back away from the creative. They're like, Jerry, why don't you and the guys go and present to the marketing team why we've changed our mind? <laughs> <laughs> so we had to like brief the team and like, go and go and talk to our like super important bosses and be like, So we've backed away from teabagging because uh, here's the urban dictionary. <laughs> Does Cadbury want to be associated with this? Possibly not. Uh, so we'll call it something else. <laughs> um... and it was, yeah, again, it was because it's amazing, it's amazing for me that so many people had looked at it and not thought about it. And obviously, either people have very innocent minds or, or, or something. But yes, uh, CABRI almost ran a nationwide campaign about how fantastic, fantastic. teabagging is, which if you haven't looked it up by now in the Urban Dictionary, would probably not be great for a, a family brand.
0: <laughs> and I'm going to ask the very last thing is, do we know if somebody now has the world record for teabagging?
2: Do we really
0: know? <laughs> Has somebody we t- done although it? We t-
2: although we tend not to call it that, uh, it still happened. Yeah, they still had the thing where like you had to throw teabags in five cups and some- it Turns out, if you've got enough money, you can make you can get paid Guinness World Records to invent any record for you. So yeah, <laughs> someone is the world teabagging champion. I think we should leave on, it at on, that.
1: Yeah, on that note, and um, I don't know whether Chris, which form of teabagging Chris was asking about, but um, I'm sure many. <laughs> many. Um, I'm sure many listeners will be scrabbling for their urban dictionary or it's a family show so I'm not sure we can put this in the write-up but uh, thank you both for (laughs) your anecdotes and a great discussion very informative Um, my thanks to Jerry Dakin and Chris Kenner for joining us on The Dog and Bone thank you thank you thanks for having us thanks for joining us on The Dog and Bone please subscribe to the podcast and if you have any questions or suggestions do get in touch via our website dogandbone.dog Or send us an email at woof at dogandbone.dog.